All right, let me tell you all something about Anchor. If you ever want to start your own podcast or create your own podcast, Anchor makes it really easy. First of all, it's absolutely free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will even distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more popular platforms. You can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. All gas, no brakes. Welcome into the very first episode of the Now We Have Liftoff New York Jets podcast hosted by your boy John June and I've got my my guy Frank Jim Piccolo. Frank, what is going on? What up, what up, what up, John? Not much, man. You ready to get into this thing, man? We we talk Jets all the time, so we figured why not just sit down and hit record, man, two uh, lifelong Jets fans. Uh, I mean, Frank, you, you why don't you talk about your experience as a Jets fan? Because I'm pretty sure people might want to hear about you know where, where we're coming from. Yeah, absolutely. So my dad's been a diehard Jets fan since uh, Joe Namath, and he got season tickets around... 1989 and actually my first game uh ever at the old giant stadium in the meadowlands was when dennis bird walked on the field for the first time after that horrific uh collision he had the year before wow that's uh yeah that's some powerful stuff man i mean me i've uh i think you and i we talked about this i i, I wasn't really it's crazy to think I wasn't a huge football fan or anything. Uh, you know, didn't start playing the game until until I, I was I got to high school. But uh, two thousand and five, two thousand and six, those were the really the years that I, I started really watching the Jets and watching every uh, you know trying to watch every one of their games on a weekly basis. And I remember Herm Edwards and you know obviously Eric Mangini coming along and then. We had the Rex Ryan era, which was which was really nice. But you know now it's you know we're going on eleven years of of not making the playoffs. So, uh, but things have changed, right? There's reasons for optimism. That's why we we call this the now we have liftoff New York Jets podcast because we feel like you know the Jets could potentially be taking off here, um, pun intended, uh, especially after the hiring of of Robert Sala uh so you know uh Frank where are you at with this Sala hire I know you were really really into Robert Sala as a candidate uh more than I more though more so than I was so where are you at with this hire uh what are you most excited about uh in having in the Jets having picked Robert Sala to be their their head man yeah, as you were saying, I was really high on Robert Sala from Jump Street. Um, I just like the way he carried himself on the 49ers uh, sideline. Like, you see all that energy that just came out in droves from him. Um, and when you compare him to our last coach, Adam Gaze, who seemed like he had a hard time even just talking to his players, 
I just thought that had to be the direction that we go in. Somebody that just has all that enthusiasm, that cares about what's going on. Not saying Adam Gase didn't care, but perception is key, I think, when it comes to the Jets. Yeah, I mean, you know, the Jets have had a reputation for being, um, you know, kind of, kind of a uh, a circus, especially, uh, you know, the last the last few years. I mean, I want to say the last decade almost. It feels like it really has, uh, ever since the end of the Rex Ryan era. Uh, that's the the reputation that they got. I mean, Todd Bowles came in in 2015, had that ten that ten win season, that. Uh, you know, goes mostly forgotten because that team didn't make a playoff. He didn't make the, you know the playoffs, even though they had a wonderful opportunity ahead of them. Uh, but I think the hiring of Salah, the fact that the Jets have handed seem to have handed the keys to their organization over to general manager Joe Douglas, um, who, if you ask me personally, the best thing to come from the Adam Gase. Uh, hire was Joe Douglas. If it wasn't for Adam Gase being hired in the first place, he never would have weaseled his way into uh, Christopher Johnson's ear, thus getting Mike McCagnin ousted and delivering us Joe Douglas. So uh, if there's anything to think for Adam Gase, there's that. And now Joe Douglas, as a result, gets us Robert Sala, uh, who, like I said, I wasn't really too high on him not for any reason in particular just I, I preferred other candidates uh you know I, like I've said before I wanted them to hire an offensive minded coach like an Eric Bieniemy, like a Brian Dayball uh you know even a Todd Mockin that they interviewed the last time the last time around or even a Joe Brady or you know I actually even liked defensive uh you know defensive minded head coach defensive coordinator uh, former defense coordinator for the LA Rams, now head coach for the LA Chargers, Brandon Staley. Uh, but Sala, from all accounts, a player's coach, um, you know, p- people around the league like him, players around the league like him. One of the things that he said in his opening day press conference was that he wants to get his put his players in position uh, to make as many plays as they can on Sunday or to play at the highest level that they can on Sunday so that they can get paid because that's what the ultimate goal is. And players got to love that kind of, you know, you know, just that ref- that refreshing uh, realness from a coach, you know, that that honesty, you know, uh, we haven't seen something like that maybe since since we saw from Rex. So um, and, and not even to compare solid of Rex, right, because they're totally different guys, but uh, Sal is going to have that relationship with the players which i think is something that you've talked about before frank yeah and i think that's big right like i think a lot of that comes back from why he got into football you know you heard that story about he decided to start his coaching career because his brother was at the twin towers when the towers came down and he just wanted to do something that he was passionate about and i think that story is going to resonate in the locker room and that story has already resonated here in New York. Like, it's it's just, it just fits like peanut butter and jelly when you say that to New Yorkers, right? Um, yeah. but, but I think the big thing is that you keep hearing like from Richard Sherman and even from Russell Wilson that he's a true motivator and as good as a coach he is, he's even a better person. Yeah, definitely. That's what they've. Um... 
you know, that's what everybody has has kind of not even implied. That's what they've come out and said. You know, Fred Warner, uh, Richard Sherman, like you mentioned, uh, you know, these guys, they, they've really gravitated towards him. And not just players, right? Like, not just players, but uh, coaches that he's worked with, right? Like, look at this staff that he's put together, the relationships that he was able to build, that he was he was able to get guys. There's guys on this on this staff, yes, you know, he brought on Matt LaFleur, which we'll talk about in a minute, um, as a and, and John Benton from the 49ers. Uh, but you look a lot of the, a lot of these these other hires, uh, they're guys that Salah's never worked with, like defensive coordinator Jeff Ulbrich. Like, uh, I believe th- maybe they have they might have crossed paths if I'm maybe, but you know he's bringing on a defensive coordinator to to call the defense. So he's gonna be the true CEO. Um, but well, Frank, that's what, what are you Ky- excited? Well, that's what Kyle Shanahan no. said last year during. Uh, this uh, coaching carousel that he was he was open that um Salah wasn't going to get picked but he said when he did that he was going to bring in an all-star coaching staff that he's not afraid to work with guys that he's never worked with before but he wants to bring guys in that can take care of maybe the deficiencies that he has which I'm really excited about because you don't hear coaches talking about their deficiencies because those are alpha males, right? They do nothing wrong, but Robert Sala talks about that openly, that how he's not the perfect coach, but he's going to bring in coaches that are proficient in what he's not proficient in and maybe what they're not proficient in, he's, in proficient, uh, he's proficient in, and they're going to bring together the perfect coaching staff. Yeah, I think that, you know, like any any coach, any good coach, any good leader, right, would want to surround them, themselves with people that uh, that are proficient in areas that they're deficient in, right? Like I think Belichick, you know, he, he, he uh, has built his staffs like that over the years. Uh, you know, I think Salah coming in with that mindset, obviously it's refreshing to us as Jets fans because we had to deal with with Adam Gase, who surrounded himself with Dow Loggins, who basically was just going to agree with everything that Adam Gase had to say. There was nobody on that coaching staff to challenge Adam Gase. And so you look at the staff that Salas put together, uh, He, you know, the Jets have an offensive coordinator in, in Mike LaFleur. They've got a uh, quarterback's coach in Rock in Rob Calabrese. They've got an uh, offensive line and run game coordinator in John Benton. They've got a pass game coordinator in Greg Knapp. So like this is a this is a staff that they've put together. Uh, you know, three coordinators just alone on the offensive side of the football and a, a, a designated quarterbacks coach. I mean, last year, uh, you know, basically. Um, Adam Case and Dal Loggins were completing, were performing all four of those jobs, you know. So, you know, I, I'm really excited about that. I'm excited about Jeff Obert coming over on the defensive side of the football. I was excited about some of the things that he had done in Atlanta, especially playing against some good offenses. 
you know, like the Kansas City Chiefs, the New Orleans Saints, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, and, and having success with an Atlanta defense that has struggled uh, mightily the last two years or, the, you know, the last year and a half, but uh, under Dan Quinn. So, you know, Jeff Ober coming in, calling this defense, Robert Sala going to have his hand on this entire team. Um I'm, you know, definitely got something to be excited about as Jets fans. Yeah, I'm really excited about the offensive assistants that were brought over. Uh, you touched on John Benton. Um, John Benton, when he was in San Fran, had three different running backs average over 4.4 yards per carry. That is ridiculous. And when he ran the offensive line in Houston, um, Four out of the ten years that he was there, they were in top ten in rushing. And in 2010, Arian Foster won the rushing title. And I think it's going to start with that Shanahan offense with the running game. You know. Yeah, definitely. And, and, and then, this is a... this. No, sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry. No, man. I, no, I was just going to say that this is just adding to what you were saying. This is a, um, you know, a situation here you know, where this, like, I feel like the Jets are not going to invest heavily in the running back position, right? You look at San Francisco, uh, Raheem Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr., uh, you know, Tevin Coleman, he was a high draft pick of Atlanta, but he came over, didn't cost much money. I mean, Jarek McKinnon was a free, was a, a, a priority free agent of theirs, but he was injured over the years. So they had four different guys that they were kind of leaning on in that run game. And you, you talked about Arian Foster going back to Houston, undrafted free agent there. So they're not, they're not going to invest a lot into this position. I know that we've seen, you know, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne mock to them, but you know, this this is going to be something where it's going to be about the offensive line and the scheme that's put in place uh, that's going to make this you know this run game go and, and it's going to be great because you're going to have quarterbacks playing off play action um, you know making throws on the move and so that makes us wonder right we've seen Sam Darnold in the past we've seen him uh, being able to 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 you know have success in an offense similar to this you know, his rookie year playing for at the time offensive coordinator Jeremy Bates who is from the Shanahan coaching tree was running a West Coast offense and we did see Sam Darnold have some some success uh specifically at the at the end of the year his rookie year um but there's some you know wide speculation about Sam Darnold's future his future specifically in New York um you know some people um, would like to move on. Some people would actually like Sam Donald to stay. Um, you know, there's a lot of things to unpack here when it comes to, you know, whether the Jets should keep or, you know, keep or move on from Sam Donald, because it's not just, you know, picking him to be the guy to continue to, to, you know, to try to see if you can build around him. You've also got to consider the contract situation and, you know, how you're going to handle that. And the fact that you have the number two overall pick, but, um, Frank, if you were in the in the driver's seat, if you were in the general manager's seat uh, that Joe Douglas is in right now, and you're sitting there, you're talking to Sala, uh, trying to make this decision about what to do with Sam Darnold, how would you go about this situation? Well, first, I think all the coaches are going to be involved, right? I think it's going to be LaFleur, it's going to be Knapp, it's going to be Benton. Um, they're all going to break down Sam's film to see where Sam is at. And from all accounts, is they 
think there's more than how he has played. Um, but if we're talking about Sam and we're talking about performance, it just isn't there. The results on the field are not there, and there are a multitude of reasons why coaching changes, bad coaching, no quarterbacks coach, but to me, at the end of the day, if you're going to be a top five, top ten quarterback, sometimes you're going to have to outplay bad coaching. Aaron Rodgers is notorious for audibling out of terrible play calls that Mike McCarthy used to call. And I think and I think it's big because Sam is going to be due a contract soon. So if Sam doesn't play well again this year for the green and white, now we're sitting in a situation where we have to draft a quarterback next year. Yeah, and uh, to that point, so, you know, let me just start off by saying between the two of us, I you probably would you probably could consider me a Sam Donald apologist, uh, but you know I don't see it that way. I, I do understand that there have been situations that um, you know, like you mentioned, the coaching and the poor talent, the poor, the lack of uh, quality offensive line play. You know, all these things that come into play with Sam Darnold. Um, but I also understand that Sam Darnold has not been as good as maybe some of us who lifted him up after that, you know, you know, three and a half game stretch at the end of, of twenty eight of that twenty eighteen season. Uh, he hasn't been as good as that. And and you know what? Could could you blame it on Adam Gase? You know, maybe you could, right? Like but at the same time the Jets are in a position where they have flexibility. They have the flexibility to, to not be forced, right? If if they're Washington and you're sitting in no man's land with the nineteenth pick and you have Sam Darnold and you're looking and you're saying, well, you know, we could we could try to move on from him, but who are we going to replace? Like, who are we going to replace him with? Then, like, maybe maybe you go ahead and, and you keep him, right? Because you don't have any other choice. But we have the number two pick. So when you, when with the Jets having the number two pick here, they have their option, right? We, we assume Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick. So they have their options of guys here, um, whether it's a Zach Wilson or a Justin Fields or even a Trey Lance. Or hey, if you like Mac Jones, we're not going to go there. Um, but Please you know, don't. like you, you, I'll cry. no. <laughs> but you have these options available to you where you don't have to pick Sam Darnold. You don't have to make that choice. Um, you know, and, and and be backed against that corner. And then at the same time, you can flip Sam Darnold for a draft pick. It's not like you're you're taking a quarterback and Sam is sitting there and has to back him up. Like you can go ahead and you can flip Sam for, you know, a second round pick or maybe even a third round pick or, hey, you know, maybe you can get a bidding war going. Uh, you can get Washington, you can convince Washington to give you the 19th the nineteenth pick in this draft uh, for Sam Darnold because, again, he has that fifth year option available to him as well, which a team will make a decision on whether they want to pick that up. Uh, and it's only just under $19 million where we previously thought it'd be somewhere over 20 over 22 23 million dollars so uh you could sell this to a team where it's like hey 
this is really a two-year contract with Sam Darnold. This is not a you know this doesn't have to be a, a one-year tryout. You could really make this a two-year deal, and and you know maybe sell it to a team that way and use the the asset that you recoup to build around your young quarterback. So that being said, Frank, what would you do with this number two pick? I mean, I know we already said move on from Sam, but is it enticing? to trade this pick and maybe pick up more draft picks and, and, and build around Sam Darnold or, or, or you, do you have your eyes locked on a guy here? Well, let's start off by saying that I'm not trading down the number two pick. Um, I'm not high on the tackle from Oregon. I'm not drafting a wide receiver. I, I'm trading Sam. Uh, if I had my number one option is um, packaging that number two for Deshaun Watson, but we'll touch that a little bit later. Um, I broke down my top two quarterbacks that are coming out in this year's draft, Zach Wilson and Justin Fields. Uh, your top two after Trevor Lawrence? <laughs> or are those your top two in general? Well, Justin Fields is my top quarterback overall. <laughs> I knew that one. <laughs> uh, and I don't think there's a big difference between the three of these guys when you look at competition and who they had to play with. Um, Zach Wilson's really intriguing playing for BYU. His stats this year were out of this world. He threw for 33 touchdowns with only three picks, and he rushed for 10. That's Mm -hmm. 43 touchdowns in 10 games. Mm-hmm. To me, that's incredible. And when I was breaking down his film, I saw a couple things. He's got inst- great instincts, great awareness. The balls he throws with the windows are NFL-esque. Like, they're really, really catchable balls that he throws. He's big. He's athletic. He's tough. He has a big live arm. But the things I don't like is his feet look sloppy at times uh, when he's doing straight dropbacks. But when he's coming out of the play action, for some reason he sets his feet a whole lot better than when he does coming (laughs) in a straight dropback. I I don't get it. Maybe maybe he's thinking too much when he's just doing a straight three, five, or seven step drop. But the other thing that uh, scares me is that he's got a little bit of a injury history with him. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I know he dealt with a wrist injury and and uh, had some other issues. But I, I'm with you, man. I mean, I, I really do like Zach Wilson. Uh, I but know the that. The thing that scares me about Zach is, like, to me, he mirrors Sam just with better accuracy. Well, I'm, I'm, I don't think that's a problem, right? Sam was the third pick in the draft for a reason. Uh, before he was, and before that, he was widely speculated to be the number one pick in the draft. So, we can all talk about Sam Darnold all we want. I, I, you know, I said it, I say it all the time, but none of those quarterbacks from that 2018 class would have had much success playing on this team. I mean, maybe some guys like Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen would have made it look better at times, just because of their their pure athleticism, but. At the end of the day, it, it was going to be tough for whoever had to play in, in New York, you know, for the Jets. Uh, and, and so, you know, Zach Wilson, in my opinion, I mean, we've talked about this before. Uh, 
you know, before let's get this out of the way, right? Like you love Justin Fields. You like you said, he he you would pick him one if, if you had your choice. I mean, I know when 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 it looked like the Jets were gonna have the number one pick, you kept telling me like, Hey, I wish we could fall to two so that we could take Justin Fields. No, I'd said I would and, trade with Jacksonville um and get a boatload of uh picks in the upcoming years. Uh, that's what I wanted. Yeah, but to do. then, but then you did say at one. I, I do remember you saying at one point that you you wouldn't mind falling to two because <laughs> you would. Then I, I you love would get, Justin Fields. I love yes, Justin Yes, you Fields. absolutely love Justin Fields, and I'm I'm there with you, man. I love Justin Fields as well. I think he can be a star. Um, but like we, you know, like everyone has said, and like you know, I said when when the Jets were looking to hire Salah, you and I had talked about it then too, which is. The Jets were going to take Zach Wilson because he's a perfect fit for this Shanahan offense. And, you know, like you said, he's got that quick trigger. The ball just comes out. And, and you know, the the tight windows, like you were saying, I mean, he's he's playing. He's putting these balls basically into, like, his his guys are getting no separation. Like, the, guy, the receivers he's throwing to are getting no separation. And, yeah, you could talk about the DBs that, that they're playing against or whatever, right? But at the end of the day... Uh, you know, this guy is making these NFL type throws because these windows are like impossible windows and he's putting the ball basically wherever he wants. Uh, and, and, you know, he does have that athleticism. You know, I know you talked about his feet. You know, I, I say all the time, uh, I'm not, I'm not too concerned about a prospect's feet cause you can fix that. I'd rather fix uh feet than throwing motions, but, um, you know he's got a quick trigger. He's got that quick release. You know maybe he doesn't. Maybe he doesn't set his feet on those uh, on those on those three step drops because he just trusts his arm that much in those situations. I don't know, but uh, people have called him the Mormon Mahomes. I'm not gonna go there, but uh, his ability to make plays on the move, throw from different arm slots, different arm arm angles, I think is phenomenal with Zach Wilson. So, you know. I'm definitely huge on the Jets taking him, but again, we both know what our number one option is, and that is Mr. Deshaun Watson. Yeah, do you want to touch on Justin Fields before we dive into uh, Deshaun? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I said my my piece on Fields. Uh, do you, you know what more do you do you want to add or? Well, you hear all the knocks on Justin Fields of how he's not accurate, how a lot of the Mel Kuypers and the Todd McShays don't think he's going to transfer well into the NFL. Um, But we also heard that with Deshaun Watson when he was coming out of Clemson. And when I was watching Mm -hmm. film, man, does he look like Deshaun when Deshaun was playing at Clemson. Yeah, I'm, I I know that I've said that to you before as well. That I get those kind of vibes that you know people we're kind of disrespecting not we but as a community as as a you know the draft Nick community uh, fans are disrespecting Justin Fields a little bit, questioning his ability to play. I mean, you know, people talk about one of the one of the knocks on Justin Fields all the time that I I personally don't like is is that he can't go through he can't go through progressions or he has issues going through progressions and it's like look at an Ohio State watch an Ohio State game right they like everything is 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 almost like a it's like a one read uh one side of the field you know worth 
throwing to this particular guy who we're setting up like 25 yards down the field because we have one of the better offensive lines in football to be able to kind of provide this protection and and to Justin Fields, you know, they're not really asking him to go through these progressions. And so one of the things I, you know, I say, uh, you know, I've said it recently, as you, if you don't know, I, I have, uh, you know, I also do a fantasy football podcast, talked about quarterbacks, the fantasy football diagnostics podcast, shameless plug here. But anyway, one of the things that I've said, and one of the things I, I, I learned last year from a prospect like Justin Herbert is when you're when you're watching guys in college, don't judge them based on, you know, don't judge them based on what they're being asked to do. Judge them based on what you believe that they can do, right? And so, I don't believe like, and and maybe I I don't know this for sure, right? Like the only coaches are and scouts and GMs are really going to know by sitting down, talking to Justin Fields, going through their plays with him, uh, you know, putting him through private workouts, you know. What was your experience like playing in this offense? Like, can is this something that he can do? You know, not just what was the Ohio State coaching staff asking you to do? Yeah, I agree. Um, in my opinion, to use a baseball reference, I think he's a five-tool player. Uh, he could run the ball. He's elusive with the ball in his hands, but he's not careless. Uh He's a gunslinger. He has a good arm, not as good as Zach Wilson, but he can make every throw. But he needs dude to- that throw against Clemson, man. Oh, dude, <laughs> dude, it was Madden like. It was like a kid playing Madden. But he does need to read the defenses better. Um, he can be careless with his decision making at times. Sometimes it feels like he trusts his arm too much and. He throws balls into double and triple coverage, which is his. I think is his huge knock. I think that's more. Yeah. More than not going through his progressions is that he'll make stupid plays sometimes when he should either be taking a sack or throwing the ball out of bounds. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I call that the the hero ball syndrome, right? Like he's trying to make a play instead of taking that sack. You know, and that's something we've seen Sam Darnold do often it drives me right? crazy like, <laughs> drives you nuts like that i think the one that sticks out that's forever ingrained in my brain is the one against miami before halftime oh god uh, <laughs> last year where it's just like wait bro you did what <laughs> like and so uh you know justin fields has that has the propensity to do that but you know like we've seen before i'm not you know i'm not i don't hear what i'm not saying i'm not comparing Justin Fields to this player, but it's kind of like if you go watch Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech, like go throw on some Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech film and you'll feel like, wow, who is this guy that's just throwing a ball in a triple coverage, not taking a sack, just trying to make something out of nothing constantly. And we see Patrick Mahomes do it. He makes something out of nothing, but he was reined in by Andy Reid, right? Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, Matt Nagy, that coaching staff, they were able to kind of rein him in to the point where He's not making these foolish decisions. He's actually just making really good decisions. And then under, you know, under immense pressure, that's when he's going to have to make something special happen. And that's where I think Justin Fields has to get to. And, you know, if he gets with the right coaching staff, with the right coach to be able to, to, to kind of coax that out of him, then I think we're going to have a star on our hands. And I think that's what we have in the coaching staff that Robert Sala put together. Like, I really trust that LaFleur uh, coaching tree. 
Yeah, I mean the the Lafleur, the Shanahan. I mean the Shanahan offense. I think is huge, right? I think that's one of the things. I think uh, I've talked about with you before, and I've just said it, you know, before as well, is that uh, the Shanahan coaching tree is is so wide, right? Like how many teams in the NFL are running this offense that have a guy on that staff that has history running this offense, and so you know one of the concerns with hiring. A defensive-minded head coach. One of the, the the concerns that came about often was, oh well, what are you going to do when your offensive coordinator uh, gets poached, right? And you know that's what people talked about with Matt Lafleur or Mike Lafleur. I keep calling him Matt, but Matt is Mike is the brother of head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Matt Lafleur. Well, uh, so that's the thing with Mike Lafleur is that uh, you know if he does get hired, if he does you know get poached for a head coaching job, well, a then that mean that's good for us because that means the Jets had a really good offense, and B, uh, Salah could easily just go around the league. You can go to San Francisco uh, where you could get a Shanahan disciple. You could go to, to to Cleveland where you could get a Shanahan disciple. You can go to Denver and get a Shanahan disciple. You can go to Minnesota and get a, a Shanahan disciple. Like these guys are littered all over the league, and and you just have to. To basically uh, trust that Salah is going to find the guy, and like, look at the guys on the staff. Like Rob Calabrese is, is still young; like he could be a potential offensive coordinator. So I, I just think we might be older I, than Calabrese. I, I think so. I think so. So uh, completely dating ourselves here, but anyway. But like you know, this is this one of the things that I think is is, is great there. So, um, but like we said before. This number two pick, there are other options that we have, especially after the Jamal Adams trade. We have two two additional first-round picks, uh, one in, in each of the next two drafts, one of those being the 23rd pick in this year's draft. Uh, and so one of the things that's being floated out there, Deshaun Watson, he's unhappy with his uh, with the, the way the Houston Texans are going about their business, and he no longer wants to be a part of that organization anymore. So he has officially requested a trade. Uh, you know, as recently the last thing we were waiting for, uh, the Houston Houston contingent said that they were not going to entertain trading Deshaun Watson until he sat down and met with ownership and Nick Casario and and David Culley and explained to them his stance. And well, guess what? Deshaun has done that. He's met with head coach David David Culley. He's told him that he has no intention of reporting to training camp or being or playing a regular season game for the Houston Texans and that he would still like to be traded and so here we are as New York Jets fans looking at Joe Douglas sitting on a mountain of draft picks just wondering is he going to do it so Frank do you want Joe Douglas to call uh, whoever it is that he needs to call Cal McNair, Nick Casario, Jack Easterby, whoever is involved over there don't call Deshaun Watson because they call that tampering but you know who? What would what would he have to give up? What would you feel comfortable giving up to get Deshaun Watson over here? That's the key. What would we as Jet fans, or what would Joe Douglas feel comfortable giving up? First of all, he has to make that phone call. Any competent GM is making that phone call, and for the first time in a long time, it feels like we have a competent GM. Uh, I was just reading uh, an article out of the Houston Chronicle this morning that John McLean wrote and for years John McClain has been in the know for that organization 
And what he said basically was that the Texans need to start looking into trading Deshaun now because his value is never going to be higher. If he sits out of the year, his value is only going to go down. And you have two teams with the draft capital right now to make that work. And he says for the Jets, what it's probably going to cost is both first this year, a first and a second next year. So that would be two firsts or three firsts. Three ones, yeah. Three ones, a two, and perhaps Quinnen would be the cherry on top. And that's kind of where I... Oh, and, then he threw, and he threw in Sam Darnold as well. You're right. He threw Sam in as well. But I'm not too sure if they would want Sam. Um, but... If it's coming from McLean, it's probably coming from Houston. Yeah, definitely would agree with that sentiment. Um, but you were going to say that that's where you draw the line is at Quinnen, right? Yeah, I'm not trading Quinnen. Quinnen, I feel, is going to be right underneath Aaron Donald. Like, that's where I see him, especially in this Ulbrich Sala 4 3 defense. Like, he's going to wreak havoc this year, in my opinion. Yeah, no, he wrecked havoc last year. Uh, obviously, could do better, uh, you know, could be better utilized. As, as Salah said, he, he's excited to take the seatbelt off of off of Quinn and, and let him go. Um, so, excited for the step that he can take. And so, yeah, I don't want to trade Quinn. I said to you, I'm comfortable trading uh the next four first round picks, honestly, just get this thing done with. Or, you know, one of the other things I've said is trade both ones this year and trade a one next year and trade a one the year after that uh, and just kind of get this thing done. Because uh, we're talking about Deshaun Watson, a 25 year old, uh, you know, hall, like not Hall of Fame, but a 25 year old stud quarterback, you know, elite level quarterback. One of the things that we've said multiple times, I've said it many times before but if there was a draft <laughs> if there was a draft you know one of those fantasy drafts all the players are going back in the pools Patrick Mahomes would be the number one pick and Deshaun Watson without a doubt without a shadow of a doubt would be the number two overall pick in that draft and so you like you have this opportunity if you are Joe Douglas to get this deal done because you have the capital to get it done. And, you know, if there's any extra motivation to get this deal done, the only other team that has the the capital close enough to get this deal done is Miami. Uh, don't forget about rival. Carolina, though. Carolina, they're, they're, they're um, you know, a dark horse. But if you're Houston, right, like, Number eight is not is nowhere near as good in this scenario as the number two or number three overall pick, in, right? Because in your mind, though, but you don't know how they have Lance and Mac Jones graded on their boards. I mean, I don't know where they have Mac Jones, but if if they take Mac Jones at eight, that there'd be some serious problems. And I'm sorry, but I don't think that they can guarantee. I mean, granted, Carolina probably wouldn't do it, but. I mean, Carolina wouldn't be in the position to take them anymore. But, you know, you can't bank on being able to get Trey Lance at, at eight. And you, I mean, do you make that trade thinking 
you know, t- selling to your fan base that you're going to get the fourth or fifth best quarterback in this draft class. Because that's another thing, right? Like, Houston's fighting a PR battle as well. And I mean, granted, maybe you don't, you shouldn't think so much into that. But, you know, at the end of the day, they are running a business. And so you have to sell, you have to sell hope to your fan base. And the best way to do that is through a young quarterback. That's because you're, 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 you're basically ripping one away from them, from the fans. You're ripping one away from their hearts. And so you have to have something to fill that void. And so eight doesn't give you hope. Right, eight just gives you anxiety. Like, is that guy gonna make it to us? Where two or three, you know, you're getting a, a top three guy in a class where, you know, a lot of very, a lot of people that watch tape for a living are very high on at least four of these quarterbacks. Yeah, I agree. Uh, the Deshaun Watson is very intriguing, but you're now hearing reports coming out of Seattle that Russell Wilson is unhappy. What is your thoughts on that? I mean, we talked about this before. I, I, I prefer Deshaun, uh, per, prefer just because of the age. Um, but obviously it's Russell Wilson. I mean, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league today. Uh, you know, is how old is Russell Wilson? 30. 31, 32, or is he 33? I don't know. I'm not sure. Somewhere I know he's been in the league for 10 years. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's uh, he's up there. Has said that he wants to you know take the the Tom Brady route and play for 15, 20 years. So you know I, I've said if, if there's a he's 32 years old, uh, turns 33 in November. But you know I have said before like if there was somebody that you know I. I could see finding a way to do that. It, it would be Russell Wilson uh, being able to extend their career the way that Tom Brady has. Um, but, you know, t- Russell Wilson in New York on this Jets team, you know, I've said it many times before, there's only two players I felt like uh, would have had success playing for this Jets organization the last few years. Uh, and those two players are Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson. So, uh I mean, would I be excited about it? There's no way that you could say that I wouldn't be excited about it. Uh, I think in in a normal off season, I would be excited about the prospects of getting Russell Wilson because he has always been one of my favorite uh, players and one a guy that I've rooted for since even before he was drafted. I actually had wished that the Jets had drafted him, uh, you know, back in that 2012 draft when he was coming out, but. Unfortunately, they they didn't do that. Uh, even though apparently Terry Brad, Terry Bradway uh, pounded the table for Russell Wilson. Anyway, neither here nor there. Um, I I think in normal off season where Deshaun Watson wasn't available, I'd be all over the prospects of getting Russell Wilson. But I'm, you know, I'm all t- I'm a hundred percent to Deshaun Watson. Is Deshaun Watson uh, a rookie at one hundred two? Uh, Russell Wilson, and then Sam Darnold. Yeah, how funny would it be, though, if the Jets traded those two picks that they sent to Seattle for Jamal Adams back to Seattle and we get Russell Wilson? Uh, That, for for, for Jamal's reaction alone, would be, like, that right there would be worth that transaction. Oh, without a doubt. I... Like the the meltdown that he would have would be worth the reaction alone. Yeah, we'll even throw in. Ad, we'll even throw in Adam Gaze as a defensive coordinator. 
<laughs> Dude, I was gonna say, uh, I would. It would be what would make that even better is if uh, we sent them back Sam Darnold and then they hired Adam Gase to be somewhere on the offensive staff. So uh, Jamal Adams would just feel like he's in. You know, t- it's like twenty twenty nineteen all over again. Yeah, welcome all the losing back to uh, Jamal Adams. <laughs> It'll be like New York Jets West. <laughs> <laughs> uh but anyway uh yeah what what is what about your thoughts what are your thoughts on on a potential russell wilson trade man man i love russ i do um like there's not much to say he's a proven winner they have no offensive line there in seattle and he still makes it work um you hear that he's unhappy about the run first way that Pete Carroll likes to run his offense because it puts him in a strain on third down because the defenses know that they have to pass the ball and then he has to go into that let Russ cook mode, which he knows he's not going to last how as long as he wants to last by doing that continually. So... I don't know. I, I think it's inevitable that Russ is going to be traded. I just don't think it's going to be this offseason. Yeah, I think uh, Tom Brady's really opened Pandora's box here. Like him, the fact that we got both Tom Brady and Phillip Rivers in new uniforms in 2020 after spending almost 20 years with their respective organizations... Um, I think that we're going to see a, a new, a new trend here where quarterbacks are okay moving. They're okay looking out for their best interest and saying, Hey, you know what? I'm the most powerful person on the team. I have, I have control over a lot of things. I should have, I should be able to have control over my career. And my legacy, you know, that's what Russell Wilson had talked about. And so, yeah, you're right. Maybe a trade is inevitable. Maybe it's not this year. But uh, these two parties will definitely uh, part at some point before Russell Wilson's career is over. I agree. And it's just fun to see Jamal Adams have uh, Ajita over this. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting because Jamal Adams, you know, will be a free agent. Um, I think his fifth-year option is, well, his fifth-year option was picked up, so he's entering his fifth year. Um, And obviously, you know, we'll be talking contract with Seattle. Uh, So we'll see what he decides to do because we know um, Jamal likes to, to be on a winning team and he likes to be the center of attention. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, so anyway, Frank, is there anything else that we wanted to touch on here, um, as we kick off the episode, the very first episode of the, now we have liftoff New York Jets podcast? Well, being that it's our first episode, uh, why don't we end on doing something fun? John, why don't you tell me who your favorite jet of all time is? Okay, this I might get I might get some flack for this one, but without hesitation, uh, it's it's wow. As I said that, I actually had some hesitation. But without <laughs> hesitation, I'm gonna say Darrell Revis. Uh, 
I'm sorry, man. He, I know that there was some bad blood uh, with how you know how he left uh, and then went to New England and won a Super Bowl and then came back and then the end of his career was terrible. But this dude had one of the hardest responsibilities that there was, that there is in a football game, which is to line up one on one with the t- other team's best receiver and they know you're in man coverage. The quarterback knows you're in man coverage. You have no safety help over the top, and everybody knows that you're one, basically one-on-one with this guy for 60 plays, sometimes 40, 50 snaps a game. You're one-on-one with that guy, and he, he, he can go in so many different directions, and, and Revis shut down so many different guys. When you look at If you look at that year that he had in, in, uh, in 2009 when he, when he uh, basically had shut down uh, a a, a plethora of Hall of Famers and uh, Chad Ochocinco to Randy Moss to Terrell Owens. Uh, he got T.O. And, and Randy Moss twice that year. Uh, also saw Calvin Johnson in 2010. Uh, you know, had seen Andre Johnson in, in, in 2009 and 2010. Uh, Marcus Colston in 2009. Uh, he should have been the Defensive Player of the Year in 2009. He was honestly... One of the best players I'd, I'd ever watched uh, in a Jets uniform of just dominant week in and week out. And just the way he handled his assignment. I mean, this guy, I mean, and it's crazy because at the end of his career, uh, especially, you know, in 20 in that 2016 season, you know, he, he caught a reputation. And even in that Chiefs playoff game in that year, I don't know how, how many people remember that, but he was, a, you know, uh, in on that play when Marcus Mariota threw a touchdown pass to himself in a playoff game, but he he got a bad rep for for a lack of effort, being lazy. Uh, you know he we saw him out of shape at one point in twenty in twenty sixteen. But if you look at those the early years of Revis from two thousand and seven, basically you know basically when he was drafted from two to two thousand eleven, uh, he was one of the best players in the league for for basically four years in the league. Yeah, I don't think that's debatable. <laughs> what about you, Frank? Uh, who's who's your favorite player, your favorite Jets player of all time? Well, two come to mind, and I'm probably going to get some flack on this. Uh, number one is Victor Green. Uh, growing up mm-hmm. in the 90s when the Jets were the laughing stock of the league, he came to work every day, and he was that prototypical 90s strong safety coming down, mm-hmm. laying the wood, and... Being that I played defense the majority of my high school career, I just love that. And the second is Wayne Corbett. You know, homegrown kid, went to Hofstra, wasn't even a preferred walk-on, made made the team, created such a career for himself, going over the middle, getting knocked, always holding on to the ball. Those are my two guys. Yeah, man, it's funny because I said I had I said I was struggling at the beginning uh, with a second guy, and and by the way, uh, yeah, love love your two Victor Green and Winker, but I didn't see much of their careers, but I did see the tail end of of their respective careers, and so I had a ton of appreciation when I when I do see you know old film of theirs, but the second one I had is actually. Uh, a a a a member of the same draft class of Darrell Revis, and that is David Harris. I uh, love the he, hitman. 
the hitman Harris, man, uh, there's just so many things to love about David Harris. Uh, you know, I'm a former linebacker, played linebacker in high school and college, even wore 52, uh, you know, because Ray Lewis was one of my favorite players, and David Harris, you know, to have him on our team uh, wearing that 52, be in the middle of our defense for basically every every year since he got drafted. I think he had an injury. Uh, I think he had an injury his rookie year, or if I'm not mistaken, his second year. Uh, but, you know, uh, Rex came in and just unlocked something in, in David Harris. And I thought he was one of the most unappreciated players in the league for like one of the longest times, uh, you know, but he consistently, he didn't talk. He was, you know, he, he, but when he did, uh, say something like other players, you know, they stood up, they listened, uh, you know, he, he was never a problem. You could tell he was a leader. He never had an off the field issue. Like there was never any of that with David Harris, you know, like, None of that, and he played for so many different coaches, from Mangini to Rex to Todd Bowles. So, like, yeah, man, David Harris was definitely one of my favorite players. I mean, just even going, I remember specifically, I know we talk about the 2011 season often, you and I do, because that was basically the year the Jets went downhill. Um, But he made a play in the in the Giants game. Uh I don't know how many people remember that play, but it was basically a one-handed interception of Eli Manning. Um, and, you know, it was a game that the Jets basically needed to, to basically make it to the playoffs. And unfortunately, that didn't happen because, um, you know, there was the Victor Cruz 99-yard touchdown, uh, you know, and, and a lot of other things that went on. But David Harris had a phenomenal game, and, and he was definitely one of my favorite Jets of, of all time. Yeah, I think both people remember that interception against Tom Brady in the divisional round. Yes, that interception was was great just because of what that game meant, uh, especially after coming off the 45-3 to uh, debacle on Monday Night Football earlier in the year where Rex had to bury a football. Um, but still, that that three it's like three finger interception by David Harris. It was just it was it was dope. Yeah, that was sick. But um. <laughs> Yeah, man, I, that was that was good. Uh, so I think that we we said we're going to come back on here in two weeks and discuss, um, you know, take a look at what's going on with free agency, what the Jets could potentially do. Uh, they've got a, a boatload of cap space here. Uh, so, you know, how can they make this team better? They've got some of their own free agents like Marcus May and whatnot that they've got to take care of. They've also got some some ways to create some cap space by cutting some guys. So we got a bunch of stuff to look at. So uh, be on the lookout for that on this feed here in about in a couple weeks. But um, after that, we definitely appreciate y'all for, for taking the time to, to listen to the show. Uh, make sure you catch us uh on social media, we'll have the all, all the information for how you can do that in the show notes. But uh, thank you for checking in with our first episode, everybody, and we will catch y'all later. Catch you later. Thanks, everybody.